Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the NASPA Leadership Podcast presented by the Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. My name is John Mark Day, and I serve as the Director of Leadership at Campus Life at Oklahoma State University, and I'm thrilled to be your host for the podcast. Today's episode is brought to you in partnership with Omicron Delta Kappa. We're going to be looking at the Charlie Life and Leadership Academy, which is an online tool that aims to build an emerging pipeline of 21st century leaders who thrive individually and in relationships, teams, organizations, and communities throughout the U.S. and the world. Uh, and to do that, to tell us more about the Charlie Academy, we're thrilled to have the CEO with us, Dr. Bruce Jackson. Uh, Bruce is the Executive Director of the C. Charles, C. Charles Jackson Foundation, the CEO of the Charlie Academy and the Institute of Applied Human Excellence. He's also a competitive athlete uh, who has dedicated his career to the development of individuals, teams, organizations, and communities that seek to maximize influence, leadership, and change. Welcome, Bruce. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Happy to be here, and thanks for the time to chat. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about what the Charlie Academy is and how it came about. Well, the Charlie Academy, how it came about is kind of, is, is, it kind of tells the story. Um, you know, having been in the human performance and leadership world in the corporate space for many years and then in the philanthropic space and then having um, built and designed and run my own leadership center at a university for seven years, um, as I was looking at how to support leadership programs around the country, the C. Charles Jackson Foundation had spent, has spent the last 16 years in helping to um, establish leadership centers on campus, help to expand programming efforts on campus, help to expand the research on the efficacy of uh, leadership and a variety of other things. In doing that, I constantly saw uh, universities and program directors around the country, you know, building a lot of the same things, reinventing the wheel, wanting funding for, you know, building curriculum on this, building curriculum on that. And it was really clear to me that uh, one of the things that we do through our foundation is I host a conference every August in Minneapolis uh, not only to give people a chance to identify how to apply for grants in the foundation, but the afternoon is all about shared best practices and how can we stop reinventing the wheel, share best practices of one another, and accelerate this work we all love. In doing that, um, I started to pay a lot of attention to the traction that Khan Academy was getting with mm -hmm. um, mathematics and science, and it's moving into a variety of other areas and saying, you know, we know the fundamental core, you know, the bulk of the fundamental core competencies in leadership. Corey Seemiller's done a great job of defining those from the student perspective. I've taken models all over the country from the corporate space and, and, and integrated them together to build a more holistic uh, framework. And so, you know, I look at it as if you look at it pretty granularly, um, there's probably between 80 and 90 competencies that regularly show up in student leadership development, professional leadership development. And my thinking was, you know, why can't we um, define, you know, design something like Khan Academy specifically to provide, you know, what I would call the Swiss army knife of every major leadership concept or principle 
and set it up as an online portal where students, uh, directors, professors, um, administrators could use as a box of Legos uh, for either constructing programs, augmenting programs they already have, filling in gaps for stuff they don't cover, and essentially um, trying to um, do what Khan did, but for leadership competencies and skills from a content perspective, and then potentially then support students with coaches and things of that nature. So a little bit long-winded, but that gives you the foundation for how this kind of came about. Absolutely. And, and so, so we're going to put the, uh, the website for the Acharya League Academy in the podcast description. Uh, but when somebody logs on to that website, tell us what they're going to find and what their experience will be. Well, I will just state that, you know, Charlie Academy continues to be a, um, a project in process. And mm -hmm. so the, the, um, we're continually designing and refining the website. Almost every week I want to make something a little bit different on it. But if you go to charlieacademy.org, my goal with the website is that it's a sticky place for students to access um, free content. So. On the website, there's a that you'll see some of the current courses that we've been building. Um, you will see uh, promotional videos for students, leadership educators, program administrators, foundations, um, explaining what Charlie Academy is and what it's designed to do. And then you can go up like to the what the leadership library, and you'll see. Um, about 85 different competencies, and, and that represents a, the bulk of what we're trying to build out as full courses. And you'll see free, you know, uh, curated links to YouTube videos, books, uh, recommended books, recommended articles, things of that nature. And then, of course, we'll be, you know, starting to build out a blog. So, you know, my goal is that 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 website becomes a a hub for free stuff, all hmm. things leadership for students. And then for those that want to engage it more deeply, they can sign up for an account and begin taking courses and earning digital badges as they finish a course. And so right now you have fundamentally I've got that open. Um, our goal will be we'll be doing some we'll charge some for courses, but right now we're doing a lot of scholarships for students and leadership educators that want to um, test out the courses, give us feedback on the courses, help us steer the direction of it too much, too little, too hard, too easy, what have you. Um, over the last year and a half, I've really been studying what I think the secret sauce is for these courses. And right now the website's sort of the, the conduit to enter. Um, and we've just designed a new app uh, designed to do some assessments up front so students can go into that app called the 1080sweep.com, so 1080sweep. Dot com and take a free assessment, set a goal, and identify their inputs and outputs and manage weekly tracking, and that connects to the library as well. So we're, we're integrating all these things, and right now we're just having lots of educators and lots of students from around the world take stuff, take courses, look at the website, give us feedback, let us know what you like, and really the goal is to build a resource that offer students to scale around the world great content that can be used for a variety of purposes. Yeah, I, I love that idea of just being so accessible for folks and 
uh, students not being limited and, and educators not being limited by the institution that they're in or the amount of access that they personally have, uh, but really using the great uh, resources that are available online to, to, to spread this out. And so as you have developed this, as you've built this tool and, and, and you know, you're, you're continually launching it and, and adding on to it, what are you most excited about with uh, this tool for folks? Well, one of the things I've noticed, um, I've been around, uh, I've traveled all over the country, visited campuses, done focus groups, done keynotes, done trainings for students, faculty. I was just at the Naval Academy, as at West Point, uh, I was just at Albany, as just at Rensselaer and, and University of Maryland, and on and on and on. One of the things I've really seen you know, is a couple things that are really critical, I think, in the student leadership development space. One is that almost every university I go to has a what I would call a slice of the conceptual pie of leadership that maps well to their core values and how they see the world. You know, mm -hmm. I may go to a campus and see an emphasis on servant leadership, or I may see an emphasis with Kuzis and Posner, or social change model of leadership. Sometimes there's some Covey schools out there. And then there's a mashup of a bunch of stuff. And usually it's, there's two things. Usually it's a small percentage of the broader perspective on leadership. And if it's one thing I'm trying to teach students is that the word leadership is really confusing for a lot of students and professionals. So I sure. usually exchange that word out for the word influence. Most everybody understands what it means to influence. And when they, they exchange the word, they start realizing that, well, what am I trying to lead? What am I leading? Um, and, you know, our framework is three-dimensional. It's designed to lead self, lead in relationship, lead in team, lead in organization, lead in community. There's physical themes, there's emotional themes, there's psychological themes, there's philosophical themes, there's spiritual themes, and then there's time-based themes, you know, long future orientation work, short future execution, short past, long past. So I've got like a five by five by five um, three-dimensional cube that really kind of is designed to be a binding and a bounding framework for the bulk of the series out there. The thing that I've also noticed about campuses is They've been highly siloed, and I understand that. Academically, you know, we have a clear distinction between, you know, our sciences and the business school and school of education and law, et cetera. But, you know, what I try to differentiate is there's a difference between what you're learning academically and who you're becoming as a person, as an influential leader. And so when it comes to leadership, what I'm most excited about is I'm seeing schools like Cornell and others that recognize that, gosh, we have seven, eight, nine, ten different kinds of leadership programs on campus. We need to deconstruct the silos for leadership because we're all working on building the whole student. And they're starting to do that coordination. And I think, um, you know, schools have the opportunity of sharing resources laterally um, and doing so. And I think for Charlie Academy, it's, it's really designed for ultimate scalability, um, it's designed to be a, a box of Legos that can be used to, you know, fit within any current program. If a program says, you know, we really just want to emphasize seven core principles to our program, then you just pick the principles or the courses or the micro-learning content that you would want. And so I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of things I like. One, scalability is good um, after content is built, which is very expensive. It's uh, extremely scalable. It's, low, it's very inexpensive per student. <clears throat> and it allows schools, I think, to start crossing boundaries in ways that they heretofore have not. And in the bigger theme, you know, what I'm seeing is a lot of liberal arts schools struggling to survive. 
and they are struggling. They're almost drowning in their bricks and mortar. And schools are now having to be more flexible and agile as ever. And so we're working right now with like Concordia um, in developing strategies for a campus-wide integration of leadership. How do we do that in every department and program possible so that we can help facilitate the flexible, agile um, solutions that these students need and not get bogged down by just the infrastructure. So I think schools right now have to right-size their bricks and mortar with technology, and a lot of them are struggling with that. I think Charlie can help with that. Okay. So what advice would you give for somebody who maybe is on the ground level at, at a university, at an institution, who's, who's kind of struggling to be able to work across those silos and those divisional challenges to bring that broader idea behind leadership. How do you recommend folks go about doing that? Well, this was exactly my scenario back in 2003 when I took an 80% pay cut in industry to go into a university setting and initiate a leadership center. And mm -hmm. I only had a single check. We had a $100,000 grant from the federal government to establish a leadership center, and in 12 months, I had to um, frame it, build it, conceptualize it, make it relevant, teach the courses, conduct research, raise money, do a national conference, build programming in the community, and I didn't even have a desk when I started day <laughs> one. And so there's a, there's a long story with that, but what I um, realized, and this is actually a, a study that I did. After I left the university, I spent a year at the Kennedy School at Harvard to do my MPA, and my, um, my major thesis with Ronald Heifetz was to deconstruct my experience of building a leadership center at the university and how I did it and how I could have done it better. And I know that many people feel the time crunch to make a program relevant. They have ideas. They have their vision. They, they want their vision to benefit the entire school. Their intentions are noble and beautiful. And then, of course, then the question is, well, will other people buy into my vision? Mm -hmm. And so what's the appropriate level of caring people with me so that we co-design and co-create? Based on your timing, some people have less time to build something. Some people have more time. What I ended up doing is I started at the top. I started formulating a partnership with the president, the academic vice president, the provost, and started to build alignment there. I then went from dean to dean to dean to dean to dean and said, here's the deal. A leadership center isn't here to have all the answers. We are here to provide, off, we are here to provide um, resources for your students. We know, and you probably have a hunch, that their academic credibility, their grades, their, whether they're LSAT scores, GMAT scores, GREs, MCADs, whatever, you know, those are the necessary, but as you and I know, the not, it's an insufficient condition for success in today's world. So what we want to do is to support what your students are becoming. And so with that, you gather a lot of insights, dean to dean, department chair to department chair, consolidate their ideas, feedback what you heard, help them become a primary builder with you and a colluder with you to design something that we're all happy with. Find a half a medium, you know, you're the expert. They're not the expert, but they'd love to be heard. So finding that balance between framing expertise but hearing them out, I think if you do that just the right way, 
if you do it at the extreme and you just build it, then you've got to open the curtain and sell it. And you're constantly on an uphill battle of selling your program. If you go the other direction and get everybody's buy-in, it can take you five years to get anybody to agree to anything. But if they did agree, then it's quick to implement. So finding that middle space where you, you identify the best possible solution in concert with those leaders in the organization, um, to me, is, is the right philosophy for building that out at the higher levels. And then from there, you know, then it's about how do you build an internal marketing plan so that every professor um, uh, knows about what you're doing. And we designed a lecture series. We designed a mentoring program. We would always, at the end of every lecture series, invite everybody on campus to come. And at the end of it, we would have orientation for those who are interested. So once you start getting these things built, then you're, now you start to learn sales and marketing inside of an organization. And we did that pretty darn well ultimately taking all 57 degrees on campus, um, building a cross matrix of every course taught on campus that it had anything to do with personal development, leadership, uh, communication skills, what have you, discovering the overlap, showcasing departments, just how much they were already doing to emphasize leadership with their students, and that we were to help facilitate with them to make sure they were getting the most out of the programs that they were already designing. And there is some real secret sauce in how to you know, have a department chair of, let's say, education realize that they have 50% of the content and nuggets and courses and lecture series already there, and mm-hmm. that you want to help facilitate that with and for them. So maintaining a servant mindset while also having an expertise framework is that paradox to hold uh, in balance. I love that paradox. I think that's something that, that we as educators, particularly on the student affairs side, find ourselves in that tension of, of constantly, that idea of you know, that expert mindset while also being there to serve and being there to, to listen to our students. It's, a, it's an interesting challenge to sort of work within and, and work through for folks. Well, and you know, I had a very interesting experience, um, and, and it, it was instructive to me, but it was also a nice little win. I didn't know it was happening. When I came to the university and I taught my first class, you know, the first thing I did with my students is said, listen, I have expertise to share, but you are my clients. You guys drive the bus. This is your learning journey. And I am here to serve you. And if I'm not doing that, then um, I'm failing you. And I ended up getting uh, my very first year finalist campus-wide for Educator of the Year. I didn't win it. I got like second. But I'm <laughs> like, well, why in the world would I be nominated for Educator of the Year? And a student, the student who nominated me came up and said, this is the first time in our lives that in this or any class I've ever heard a professor basically say they're the servant of the, servant of the student. Mm. And yes, I have expertise that they don't have, but ultimately my goal is to serve their need. And if I can't get into their world or if I can't get into the world of a dean or a world of a department chair, and once they know you are all about their success, then all of a sudden they couldn't jump on board fast enough. They just need to know they trust you, that yeah. you're building that, you know, social capital with them with no agenda in mind other than to do the work that you were brought there to do. Hmm. Yeah, that's such an empowering message for our, for our students and so important that they understand that 
we're sort of in this educational, this learning process and experience together. So you've been working on this for, for a while now, and you've been involved on so many different levels and you know, getting to see leadership from, from the microscopic to the macroscopic. What has surprised you as you've engaged in this work? Oh, I love the question. Um, well, I'll tell you something that inspires me. I've been on campus to campus, especially with Gen Z students, and there's a, a large number of students out there. I mean, we're getting into a fairly polarized place, not only politically, but you've got um, a cultural, the culture that's emerging where I think you're finding a lot of students just wanting to find some safe place to do good work. Hmm. And they don't necessarily, when, when, that's why when I throw the word leadership out there, oftentimes the, what, I he, what I hear them saying is, oh, that's running companies and changing countries. And they all of a sudden put that as some grand thing that they aren't, but that they, you know, they, find, they want to find their thing. And I had this very interesting experience with this young lady who, who I was doing a focus group at Gustavus in Minnesota. And she said to me, oh, I don't want to do this leadership stuff. I want to be a professional storyteller. I like to, read, I like to write fairy tales. Hmm. So we started talking about that. She said, I'm very introverted. I'm the one that just wants to be left alone to do my craft. And I said, tell me about how you how you emerge and communicate through it. And as she started to tell her story and what it meant to her, that that was her vehicle of expression, you should have seen the physiology change, the voice change. She started exercising so much influence in the room, nobody could stop listening to her. And I said to her, what you're doing right now is exercising leadership. And she then really got it, that it wasn't about leadership. It was about exercising influence. I remember speaking at the ODK conference and, you know, asking students, how many of you consider yourself to be leaders? Now, of course, they're all there because they are. Mm -hmm. And I'm still always amazed at how, at how many seconds it takes the last student to raise their hand. Hmm. And I say, listen, you know, you may assume leadership is an out there phenomenon. But I got to tell you, the moment you emerged from your mama, you've been influencing the world. You have been communicating. Even if you go into the corner and not communicate, you're communicating a lot of things. So I hate to say this, you've all been outed. You're all influencing the world. The question is, do you want to be good at it or do you want to sit in the corner? <clears throat> Another topic, a conversation I had with a young student, she was a nursing student. And she said to me, well, I don't need any of this leadership stuff. I'm going to be just a great nurse. Hmm. And I said, well, do you think you need to be really good at what you do? Oh, yeah, for sure. That's what I want to be. I said, do you think paying attention to your physical health, how you manage your stress, your emotions, how you manage your thinking, problem-solving skills, what are your core values, principles you align yourself to, do you think all of that is relevant for you to mesh well with your career? Well, absolutely. So I get the self-leadership thing. I said, okay, do you think when you're in a hospital that you're going to be communicating with patients and listening to them and understanding their issues and looking at their nuances and trying to track their feelings and maybe even trying to diagnose what's going on a bit? Okay, I get the interpersonal side of this. Okay, great. So what about you and other nurses as a team? 
Do you find yourself maybe on a floor of other nurses where you have to collaborate as a team? We went through the team discussion, and then we went through the understanding the organization and its culture and your effect on the culture and how you want to help. And all of a sudden, the organization or the hospital's impact on the community. And all of a sudden, she started to draw the clear line between who she was as a practitioner and how that could scale out to a much broader sphere. And I've had lots of those conversations with students, and they're quite empowered by them. And I've been a little bit surprised that we're, we've got students that, you know, you've got, of course, this extroverted pile, and then you've got this other group that they're just not quite sure what to do with themselves. <clears throat> and I think we have a real grand opportunity to help every student with every major and every desire to recognize that whatever your vehicle of performance is, I mean, heck, I grew up and I got thrown out of school when I was 10. I was a C-minus student at best in high school. And then I found my passion and purpose. And then for me, then, then the game began. And it went from becoming a, from a C student to a B student to an A student to college to graduate school to Oxford to Georgetown to ultimately the Harvard Kennedy School. And everybody needs to find, I think, there's a calling. Everybody has a calling, and they have to go find it. I tell students all mm -hmm. the time, you come with a unique genetic code, a unique personal history, a unique cultural history. There's nobody like you anywhere. Your creator, whatever you believe that to be, needs you to go find it. There's a place for you in this world for you to find your flow, for you to find your zone. And it's an exchange where you step forward, you get whacked backwards, you step forward again, you keep pivoting, and you negotiate with the world where you belong. But to do that, you have to decide that you want to become all that you can become and not let the external world just dictate your reality and your destiny. And so to me, these are the kinds of broad themes that when you get any student in the room, you know, it turns on a spiritual and a psychological and emotional light that most haven't had. And I think we as leadership educators aren't just talking about, you know, um, various theoretical frameworks of leadership. We're stepping into the lives of these students and saying, you know, what you are from the inside out is all things leadership. And if we can help in some way um, fulfill potential, it's critical. And the last part I'll say is I think 75 years ago, if you would ask um, a, a university body of stakeholders, what is the total value of the teaching of this school to the overall value proposition of your education? I think a lot of people would say 90%, and 10% is all the unfortunate overhead in administration that allows us as professors to do our deal. I would say 20 years ago, we probably were at 40, 40, 60. I think 10 years ago, we were at 50, 50. Hmm. I actually think now it's probably closer to 30, 70 where now um, there's so much content available online that we're having to negotiate what should we be teaching in the classroom versus what should students be learning online? And, you know, what are the models and methods we can use where, you know, we can teach two plus two on the web, but when they get into the classroom, that's where the real magic happens. And we know how to leverage technology with, uh, you know, peer relationships and collegial relationships and professorial relationships. And I think, um, you know, I think the awareness is coming later to institutions of higher education because, frankly, they just never have had to be. 
as flexible and agile as the as the you know for-profit entities out there struggling for survival and quarter-by-quarter impact. Um, and now we're seeing this rush of how do we be and maintain relevancy at the higher ed space. And so um, I think the faster we can draw the right balance between the on-campus relational experiences with um, various online and technologies will will be the, the good for all of us because we all want scalability, we all want access, we want everybody to have the equal opportunities that everybody else has. And I think we're in that place. The world's just messy and with every good thing that happens on technology, you know, something negative happens with technology. So it's always a fight. It's always a fight between good forces and opposing forces and how to try to navigate those. But that's a deeper philosophical uh, conversation, and I, oh, I better stop talking here for a minute. <laughs> well, that's, that's good, but you're right. I mean, again, these are, these are the things that we have to continue to think about as we want to provide access for folks, as we want to provide that balance for people in giving them knowledge and content, but also relationship uh, and inspiring their own leadership journeys. I mean, I think that's a lot of what we find ourselves doing as leadership educators just to begin with is helping all of our students understand that they are leaders, you know, and they have the potential to be leaders and to influence the folks around them. And so I think, you know, providing these tools and these opportunities for students are, are huge. So for folks well, out there's there. A, there's, there's, another, there's another big theme there that I wanted to boil down to. And that yeah. is, you know, when I first came at this, I said, let's develop a scalable platform that will help compel 21st century skill sets for students so that, you know, my premise was always this. Because I asked my students, why are you here? Um, you know, you're, you're spending upwards of 150 hours of total invested time between courses and mentoring and projects and all that stuff, assessments. Um, why are you here? And I remember talking to the dean of the medical school, and that dean saying, Bruce, my kids just don't have time for this stuff. They don't have any electives. They have no free time. They just don't. And I appreciate you coming and letting us know what you all do in the Leadership Center. And, uh, you know, we'll continue to put your posters up, blah, blah, blah. And I said, great. Well, they're invited to lectures and whatever. And then I go back and take a look at my student body, and I realize 22% of my students are pre-med students. Why? Hmm. So I asked them. I pulled them in. Why are you here? Your dean says that you don't have time for this. You don't have energy for this. You don't have the electives for this. And they looked at me and said, when was the last time you looked at a medical school application? I said, it's been a while. They said, we have to have these skills or we don't get in. It's no longer just a grid of MCAT GPA. We have to demonstrate interpersonal savvy. We have to demonstrate leadership skills because if we don't, the research is showing we get sued. Mm. And it's the same thing as I interview and talk to CEOs and senior vice presidents, hiring managers, admissions officers. They all say the same thing. 80% of the jobs that are going to exist in five years don't exist. So I just need kids with really, really good skills. And I'll teach them the darn job. And so the, that's one part of it. It's really realizing that building your skill set how to manage a team, how to give difficult conversations, how to speak in public, how to set a goal, how to have a vision, how to give feedback, how to give tough feedback, how to tap into success, how to tap into emotions, how to become more resilient, how to sleep well, how to eat well, how to create your own vision statement, how to have a mission. 
Understand your core values. What are your ethics? And on and on and on. Like yeah. These are the real, these are the human building blocks that actually carry your academic and technical skills. We all know that if you don't get any sleep, you're probably not going to do well in a test. Right. So we've elevated now, I think, this who-ness and whatness paradigm. But even more compelling right now, before you get into even 21st century skill sets, I just see such an amazing percentage of students who are suffering from anxiety, depression, and a lack of intimacy. Ten years ago, the average American had four intimate friends that they could call in an emergency. Current research suggests that's zero now. We have basically exchanged intimacy for macro mediocrity of relationship. And so why I have a heavy emphasis and why I kind of, you know, love what C. Miller has done and said, hey, you know, we need to do a heck of a lot more in the personal space. We need to get in sleep. We get into nutrition. We get into exercise. We need more on stress, more on resiliency, more on cognitive skills to manage attitude because these students are never going to be influencers if they can't manage themselves out of a paper bag. Hmm. And so while I fully embrace a cross-cultural perspective. You know, if I talk to my colleagues from Liberia, they're going to say, I enter the leadership equation from the community space. Village comes first, you come last. Okay, I get that. But we also know you can't serve the community if you're in bed sick. So they get that. So it doesn't matter where you enter the leadership, you know, conversation. Um, there is a, an emphasis that I try to put here, which is learn how to master yourself as best you can and route to relational savvy and team savvy and organizational savvy. And, and from there, you're going to find that the balancing between your academic and technical competencies as they balance with your leadership and influencing skills um, will give you the greatest opportunity. And, and case in point, one of my very good friends, has two sons in medical school, one just graduated, he's going to be a neck surgeon. I said, well, did he get hired? He goes, yes, but many of his classmates did not get hired. And he got um, a major raise. I said, why did they hire him? He said, very clearly they stated that you, know, you are not only a great technical surgeon, but you're the only one we've hired who we know can manage the disputes and the personalities of the other surgeons. Hmm. Yeah. And so as I work with executives all over the world, I have come to a clear distinction that when you talk about the difference between leading for performance or, or doing well on a job, you start off as an individual contributor. And I call that leading by force. You're moving your hands, you're moving your feet, you're digging dirt, you're making phone calls, you're tactical in what you do. And then if you do that well, most organizations make the fundamental error that, oh, if they're really good at what they do, if they're Michael Jordan, they must be a great coach or a supervisor. Mm -hmm. And that's, of course, like comparing a strawberry to a pea. Right. They're totally different beasts. And so here you're exchanging technical expertise for relational and leadership skills. You're now influencing by heat by influence, by managing relationships and political savvy and feedback and strategy. And then if you continue and you want to go up that level of abstraction and you get into those senior ranks, which I work a lot in, and now you're influencing by light. 
you're migrating from force to heat to light. And every one of those stages in between require you to let go of old skills, even if you're great at them, so that you can acquire the new, more abstract and relational skills so that you are leveraging your capacity to influence. And that's why most organizations today, I mean, I encourage them, you need to have a high potential track for leadership, but also have a high professional track for those who just love to be high performers and they don't want to be at the higher levels of the organization. And that's why I think you're seeing also a grand resurgence of technical and community college training. Um, it's because, you know what, not everybody wants to, you know, we don't need everybody to run the company. Their stewardship can be a stewardship of seven, a stewardship of two, a stewardship of 12. Uh, we need people to lead well at all ranks. And the principles seem to be the same. They're just scaled out just a little bit differently. And that's why I want all students, every single one of them, to recognize, I don't care if you're going to be writing fairy tales for a living, you know, doing brain surgery, teaching children, being a stay-at-home parent, running for office. You're going to be exercising leadership in your own way, in your own meaningful life arena, and you better understand the difference between being academically and technically savvy and having the other skills to carry the carry the the academic stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So if people want to get involved with this work that you are doing with the Charlie Academy and and others, how can they best get involved with you? Well, I will give you um, my email and phone number. Um, you know, we are. You know, I've always envisioned having a national student advisory board that would be over the website and resources and all those things and. Uh, we're always looking also for new um, faculty. I'm building an, a national faculty, those who are experts in their area, um, who say, hey, I'd love to have a course. I'm an expert in this competency, and I would love to be considered a faculty member for that, and we're looking at those all the time. Uh, but folks can get a hold of me at, at bruce at charlieacademy.org, C-H-A-R-L-I-E academy.org. My personal um, phone number is 801-358-8450. And um, right now, I've got you know, a survey out, constantly looking to ask students on how they're, how they're in, in, uh, consuming online education, what they like, what they don't like. I'm giving students 10 bucks for taking that survey. Um, we're offering free scholarships for all of our content and our digital badges for students that will give us feedback on just one of our courses. And so uh, you can write me on that. And um, there's all, all types of ways to get involved in those major ways. And, um, you know, to me at this point, it's, I don't care if I build it or somebody else builds it. I'm right now um, looking at, you know, national alliances with, uh, with schools and such and associations like ODK. Um, it's really that it needs to be done. And uh, I'm here to support and or lead and or step aside and or do whatever it takes. But, you know, I think we have a grand opportunity to really bring uh, leadership development to younger generations. I see it all the time with executives and young supervisors that I coach that are 30, 40, 50 years old, and they don't have the skills to do with their, the jobs. And the fact is I want to see, probably like you and everybody else who might be listening, we want to see these skills in students when they're 20, 15, 10, and 5. And ultimately, Charlie Academy is designed to be a Charles Academy for college, Charlie Academy for high school, and a Chuck Academy for, for junior high grade school. 
And so my goal is the, the sooner we teach these skills, um, the better. And anything that people want to discuss with me on how to make that happen, I am all ears. Awesome. Well, Barakul, well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's really exciting to hear about the work that you are doing. Um, thanks to Bruce and, and to Omicron Delta Kappa for sponsoring us today and uh, making this connection. And thanks to all of you out there for listening. Thanks for joining us today for the NASPA Leadership Podcast, which is presented by the NASPA Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. Uh, you can get more information about the Knowledge Community on our various social media outlets. Uh, we're on Twitter at NASPA SLPKC, and we're on Instagram at NASPA underscore SLPKC. You can also connect with me on Twitter. I'm at John Mark Day. You can learn more about the Charlie Life and Leadership Academy on their website, just charlieacademy.org. And if you are interested in being a guest on the podcast or if you have suggestions for things we should be talking about or people we should be talking to, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us. We're at naspaleaderpodcast at gmail.com. Bruce, thank you so much for joining us today. What a great conversation. Thank you so much. Look forward to it next time. Awesome. And thank you all out there for listening.